Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we will be talking about the big picture of your TV pilot script. What should your pilot script capture, include, or leave out? In other words, the scope, the beginnings, and the ends of your TV pilot. So let's get started. <laughs> So let's take a look at scope and just how important it is to actually define the scope of your pilot episode. So pretend that your TV series is an entire universe all around us, but the viewers are stuck down here on one little part of it in Earth. And you have to take a telescope and point it at a particular part of your universe. And it's only going to capture so much through that lens and through that scope. So you need to decide what's the most important part to capture of this whole universe that makes us want to see the rest. And that's essentially the scope. That's a great way to put it, especially because if you think about the way a pilot fits into the overall show, it's almost a fraction of that show, but it also needs to capture the DNA of the rest of the series, especially if it's a, a show that's going to last 10 episodes or 100 episodes. A great show and a great pilot captures that sense. If you look at a very famous pilot like Lost, Lost the pilot is almost a reflection of what the rest of the series is as a whole, and yet it also defines a lot of things in of itself. But uh, just to recontextualize this specific episode, again, this is kind of a follow-up to our 101 series about TV pilots. We had all the way back in PT30, our TV pilot 101 episode, which covered the basics of TV pilot writing. And then we had our PT201 episode, uh, PT84, which was kind of about keeping the reader interested. In other words, writing essentially an engaging script. And so really in this episode, we want to take a look at the macro of it and how the pilot fits into a whole as well as within the pilot itself, the way you should tackle different elements of it. So this topic was actually inspired by a recent tweet that I made to some level of virality on writing Twitter, at least for, for me anyway. It had, a, I don't know, 120 retweets and 860 something likes. So obviously it resonated with people and they thought that it was useful advice. So I figured we could maybe expand it out into a whole episode like this. And this is how the tweet went. We'll put a link to it. Uh, it said, writing tip, 90% of amateur TV pilots can be improved by taking the climax of the episode and moving it back to the midpoint or even the inciting incident, and then actually exploring what this show is going to be about each week rather than only hinting at it in the pilot's final moments. So what I'm talking about here is once you've already written your TV pilot, or even when you are outlining or structuring it originally, taking a look at what your climactic moment is and then asking if that wouldn't be better served as your midpoint or even your inciting incident. So going back to Alex's Lost example for a second, could you imagine if the pilot of Lost was essentially just everyone packing their bags at home and saying goodbye to their families and taking a taxi to the airport and lining up and queuing and putting their luggage away and then getting on the plane? And then the very final moment, the climax of the entire hour was uh, the plane crashing and we never even get to see the island. And you're like, well, <laughs> tune in next week because we, we'll see what it's like on the island. You know, that's just not going to work. So sometimes we get so caught up writing the first 15, 30 pages of a script and introducing the characters and the world that we do lose sight of the bigger picture of what our pilot is trying to do. And then you kind of realize that and you end up having to cram a lot of story into the last half or the last quarter of the script to cover everything. And then it kind of feels rushed and you're often not even getting a sense of what the show looks like each week because your entire hour or half hour is just leading up to this moment where we lock in the characters to the ongoing situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I really feel like that issue is often in my mind comes down to two different things. It's either or it could be both. But essentially, it's about either a fundamental misunderstanding of what a pilot is supposed to be. And so in your above example, it's sort of the most extreme example of let me set up the setting before we start the show as opposed to let's just start the show and then we can get the setting. And you can do the flip version of that where I've also seen uh, examples where the end essentially redefines what the show entirely is and kind of makes you question, wait, what? It's sort of like the it was all dream angle where the end of the last pages redefine completely what the show is about. Obviously, you can recontextualize something as we'll talk about later in the episode, but that's different from undercutting the investment of those 30 pages, 40 pages, however long that pilot is. And the second thing beyond the sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what a pilot is supposed to do, I would also say is on some level, it's almost like a lack of confidence in what the pilot is supposed to be or your ability to execute on that vision. So in your above example, maybe it's the kind of writer who's like, well, I mean, once they crash on the island, I just don't have any ideas of what to do, or I don't know if I'll be able to write an exciting uh, island drama. And in that case, I mean, that's just a fundamental lack of confidence in your ability to execute that vision. And in which case, then you shouldn't be writing that show, right? You should be writing something else. But the show isn't about people packing their bags, uh, hopping on a plane. It's about what happens after an island crashing. Absolutely. And yeah, that's a really great point too about those pilot episodes that essentially spend all this time setting up this world and this place and these people only did at the very end suddenly change everything on a dime and have no idea what that next thing is going to look like. You know, suddenly everyone realizes they've won a trip to uh, Siberia or whatever, and the rest of the show is going to uh, take place in Siberia when we just spend all this time setting up these 20-somethings in New York or whatever it happens to be. So <laughs> make sure that you don't just change everything for the sake of, oh, it's a cliffhanger, because then we're really not seeing what your show is. Another thing that I wanted to add, and it came from a reply to my tweet from Megan J. Wilson, she said, it appears some folks are misunderstood Standing the note from that tweet that I gave earlier, it's not about putting the climax literally up the front and then flashing back to the rest of the story, if only. Uh, the tip is to actually basically delete your first 20 to 30 pages and begin there. And it's not wrong, writing is deleting. So Megan's essentially getting to the point of if you've already gone and written your entire pilot and you're saving what is essentially the inciting incident of your entire series for the very last moment of the show, then you probably just want to get rid of most of that and start from there or start a little bit before there and see what that show is like. So uh, I'm not suggesting flashing forward to the climax of the most important moment and then going back and telling the rest of the boring story that leads up to it. That's, that's not what the note means. Yeah, I mean, what Megan is describing is actually a pet peeve of mine that on this very podcast is very famous, which is sort of the in medias rest type idea, like the alias opening where you're dropping a Sydney Bristow in the middle of a high tense situation and then cut to 24 hours earlier and you basically spend 30 minutes going through the motions of getting to that climactic point when you open the show on that climactic point. And so my immediate reaction is, wait, why are we going back 24 hours? This is just essentially filler until we get to the climactic point of Sydney Bristow in danger. So that's essentially in media stress opening where you are in the middle of the situation and then you flash back. There's definitely a context in which that's a, a good way of going about it or there's uh, ways of executing it in a proper way. Breaking Bad is a famous episode of a pilot that to my mind executed that in media stress opening properly, but that's almost in the sense of giving the teaser something to bite on. And then the rest of the pilot is really what the pilot is about. Because if you remove the first sequence, you still have a pretty compelling pilot in of itself. 
That's an, another way of framing it where if you were just moving sort of the climax at the top and then flashing back, you know, two days earlier or whatever it is, then that's kind of the same idea just flipped by all means, start with a very exciting climactic moment, but then move forward from there. You know, like what happens after this thing happens, and then we can fill in that background and that context that led up to there inadvertently as the story kind of comes out and understanding more of the characters reacting to the consequences of this crazy climactic moment. But, you know, the last thing we want is to just flash back and see their ordinary life leading up to the moment we've already seen, because then you've already given us everything and we really have no interest in just watching what happened before then. And another reason why those issues also happen is scope creep. Now, if you don't know what scope creep is, uh, well, you don't work in businesses, but essentially when a project that seems to have sort of original goals then expands as it progresses. And obviously, as the term uh, implies, the scope creep is kind of a subtle process that starts with small adjustments and then ends up being bigger and bigger and bigger. And then ultimately the project just lasts forever or doesn't even look like what it looked like in the first place. And so that's often due to just a, a poor understanding of that original script or that story, especially if you look at a pilot. If you end up writing something and you realize at the end of it, oh, well, this is actually not just a character drama, it's a character drama that's going to end with the plane crash uh, in the above example. Well, I mean, that's a, a sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what that project was because you started doing this as a sort of a character piece of people, I guess, packing their bags. That's not very compelling, but let's go with that example of this is a character drama with these people going on vacation or whatever. And then at the end is a plane crash. And you only realize that perhaps when you were in the middle of writing the outline or the script or whatever it is, and then you realize, oh, wait, this is actually a much more compelling, exciting incident, except by the time you reach it, it's the end of the episode. And so that's an example of scope creep where ultimately you just did not understand what the show was about. Is it sort of this character drama about people packing their bags in this example? Or is it the, what happens after a plane crash? And so when you sort of encounter that crossroad moment where you realize, oh, wait, the real show starts on page 47 out of 60, maybe that should be a cue to reevaluate what the show really is about. And another thing that's kind of almost the opposite of that in some ways is if scope creep is the function of realizing your show is something bigger and trying to kind of fit that in when really it was meant to be something smaller, there's this kind of like phenomenon people have of saving it for later, you know, saving it for an episode two or three or the season finale or whatever. And so really you're kind of limiting what your show is to something much smaller than what it actually should be. And it's kind of silly because a lot of the time, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time, all you ever get is this one pilot episode, whether it's as a sample, even if it's a pilot that gets made. If you save the best stuff for later and don't let us see what this show is really about and what makes this show the most interesting and unique thing it can be, you're not going to get an episode two. You're not going to get a season. You're not going to even probably get someone reading all the way through that pilot in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is something that's almost a refrain of mine at this point, but a pilot essentially needs to be that balance between that compelling hour of TV and also the first hour of TV. And if you listen to most of our PPT's sessions where we review your own uh, opening teasers of your original pilots, that's actually a common issue that we've come across time and time again, where especially if it's a, more of a drama and there's a little bit of mystery and world building and so forth, it's essentially the difference between obfuscating something 
and then just removing that content altogether. Because if you think you're being mysterious, sometimes that just leads to confusion. If you don't ask the right questions, then that, again, leads to confusion. If you don't give the right answers, that leads to confusion. And so that's one element of it that may be a problem in your pilot as a whole. And to go back to the saving it for later idea, like you said, there's not going to be a later. I mean, that's the way you should write a pilot. It's sort of that balance between you should write the first hour of TV, meaning it is going to be sort of a setup for the rest of it, but it still needs to service that one hour or 30 minute length of time that people are investing in. Just to go back to another J.J. Abrams example, I know I just quoted in Medias Res, Alias is a bad example, but the pilot of Alias is a great example of something that essentially over the course of one hour, it was a fully realized spy movie and it did have a final twist and twist and turns along the way. But overall, if you just looked at the first hour or first episode of Alias, you would be fully satisfied. Obviously, you would have questions that you would want to know more about the show and the characters and so forth. That's why it's a pilot, not a movie. But nonetheless, it still feels satisfying in that idea. So the whole notion that you can just save it for later, unless we're talking about macro questions of mythology in terms of character drama, uh, story and basic answers about the concept of the show, those should all be in the pilot. Yeah, I think it's always a better idea to put it all in. And if you need to, you can pair back on it if it's too much. But I think the vast majority of people don't put quite enough in of what it is in the series. And I think that that comes from maybe one of two places. The first one is the idea that by withholding something from the audience, by you know saving the piece of candy or whatever that you're trying to kind of like get people to go to, that they're going to be so intrigued and so enthusiastic about this thing and just need to know what happens next that they're going to order your series or they're going to ask to read more of your samples or whatever it happens to be. But you know, I think that that again is just fundamentally incorrect because that's not going to happen unless you've put the most intriguing stuff in your script at all. So you know, it, it reminds me of those people who are like won't tell you how their story ends or make you sign an NDA (laughs) or whatever. It's like, you know, (laughs) you want to put all of your eggs in one basket. You want to really just fire off all your shots at once. If the most compelling page of your script is page 99, how many people are going to be reading the previous 98 pages to get to page 99? That's the question at the end of the day is perhaps what you put at the end is compelling and perhaps what you leave out is compelling, but we still, as the reader, need to get through to that moment that is compelling. And to get to that point, the whatever comes before needs to be compelling because nobody's owed anything, right? We're not owed of that we need to finish, you know, read all 50 pages of your script if you send it to, uh, to someone to read. It's almost like a person that obviously they're going to come to the end when realistically speaking, and I mean, that's a different conversation about what is right and what is wrong, but a lot of people just don't read the full script, right? If you send to showrunners desks, executives, agents, managers, and so forth and so forth, most people just read maybe the first like 10 pages and pass it on or keep reading if it is compelling. So really a lot of this needs to be front loaded as a whole, not just the very end of it. Right. Yeah. That's another really great point is that the first 10 pages of your script are so important. So if you take the 10 most exciting pages, which right now might be at the end of your script and put them first and find a way to make the rest of the episode work from there, then you're almost guaranteeing that people are going to want to continue to read on. You never want to be deliberately making the choice to make the first 90% of your script less interesting in order to pay off the last 10%. I think that that's uh, fundamentally a losing proposition. But you know, I said that that comes from a couple of places, the first one being saving the best for later. I think the second one is sometimes people are afraid that that's the best they've got. You know, like this one particular moment or this one idea that I have is uh, the most exciting thing about this show. And if I use that up, then what have I got from there? You know, if, if that's the inciting incident, how do I write the rest of the story? Because that was the most exciting idea I had for this whole show. 
And I think that that's important for you to challenge yourself to write more and write bigger and better from that moment and just accept that you will find a way to make that more interesting and more exciting as you flow on from there. Going to that example of Breaking Bad that you mentioned, I believe that the in season five, the writers wrote that opening scene of Walt with the machine gun and the Nazis and all that crazy stuff going on and had no idea how they were going to get there. But they put that up the front of the season because they wanted people to be like, oh my God, how the hell does this happen? Where do we get from there? Uh, and then they you know, wrote themselves in a corner in order to write themselves out. So don't be afraid to do that and challenge yourself to come up with bigger and better ideas. Because if you get a TV series, you're going to have to do that every single episode. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a gradation of what I was mentioning earlier about sort of that lack of uh, self-confidence in not just the pilot's content, but your ability to execute on that content. And in the writer's room, that's what you'll be doing day in, day out. You will be challenged to think of new ways out of situations. You should be writing yourself in a corner because then that's the way you're going to be putting those muscles to use. Otherwise, you're kind of just treading water and, uh, and sort of banking on that one idea as opposed to generating ideas upon ideas upon ideas because in the rise room think of if the showrunner says well actually that one moment let's just cut that out and then in that moment you'll need to think of another huge moment right so it's the same idea except in the pilot and obviously you're the showrunner in that concept but nonetheless that idea still stands that you need to be able to execute on those ideas and if you are afraid of it like nick said either you should confront your fears and go through with them or if the execution isn't right for you there's no shame in also moving on and finding another project that that's more suited. But at the end of the day, when you're presenting that pilot in that specific scope, it needs to be executed perfectly. We've already covered a number of kind of common mistakes we see when it comes to people defining the scope of their pilot earlier. But another one that I see all the time is that the script essentially reads, even though it's a TV script, it reads like the first act of a feature film. And everyone I'm sure has read Robert McKee, has read The Hero's Journey, has read Save the Cat. The first act of a feature film is essentially just here is the world as it is. We see the characters and the setting and the world and everything is kind of at an equilibrium and nothing has really hugely changed yet. And the inciting incident happens around that page 30, that first act break of a feature where they take that big first big step that disrupts the equilibrium of their life and what they had. And they're taking steps towards their goal. Now that might work great for a feature where you have a little bit of a longer amount of time to get people involved, to take them through this journey. And you really need that time to establish the characters and you have that ability to do so. But in a TV pilot, it's a huge problem because especially, you know, it happens a lot in half hour comedies because you have 30 pages to do it. And maybe those people are used to writing features, but if all you've done is establish the world as it is, and at the very, very end of the pilot said, and then something crazy happened, that's not interesting at all, unfortunately. And we don't get enough of the story to see what it really is. Think of everything that we're talking about as a fraction of a fraction. So a teaser is a fraction of a pilot and or an episode rather. And an episode is a fraction of a season and a season is a fraction of a series. So the first act of a feature is a fraction. It's a third, or presumably if we're doing the classic three-act structure, it's a third of that feature. So if you look at it as a pilot, the same idea would be maybe the teaser or the first act of that pilot. That should be the equivalent of that first act of the feature. Look at at what point does your character enter that hero's journey? Or at what point does the inciting incident really happen? Because those moments need to be front-loaded at the top. They can't just be sort of floating around. And then at the very end, that's when the show starts. Uh, because no, the show started on page one, not page 60. I think people spend a lot of time setting up characters in the world and they'll be setting up the problems the characters have and they'll go through each different place like here's the problems they have at home in their personal life and then we shift the scene into here's some more problems they have at work and then here's some more problems they have here and like everything kind of sucks for this person and they're leading up to the moment where that's going to change and things are going to start happening differently but unfortunately what that is is essentially a very passive character just 
going through these scenes, there's no sense of momentum. There's no kind of pacing. It's just like plop them down here. Some people talk at each other, then we plop them down here, and some people talk at each other. We're getting information and exposition, but we're not getting story because nothing's happening. No one's driving it. There aren't any kind of obstacles, goals, consequences. Like you said, all that stuff should really be coming out by the end of the first act, and then we get into actually what's happening in this story. On that topic, in terms of you know making it feel like a pilot episode rather than the first act of a feature, I think it's important to understand the distinction between uh, the different kinds of pilots that people tend to write or that exist out there in the world. And there's a big distinction between uh, what's called a premise pilot and then what's a, a typical episode, like an episode three kind of type pilot where we're already in the world and situation. So a premise pilot is one that you might see that that does a lot of the stuff we're saying is not necessarily uh, the best way to do a pilot. It is just all set up. It's like takes the full half hour or hour to introduce us to a world, into a situation, into things that are happening. And we don't really see an episodic story of what it looks like each week. And premise pilots can be successful and they can work. And I think they're more common in stuff that has a lot of mythology and a lot of backstory, like a sci-fi or whatever that you need uh, that doesn't have quite as much of an episodic engine or something that you know, works if it's a little more serialized. But for the most part, I think that people should be focusing more towards this episode three kind of stuff, especially in a sitcom or a comedy. It's so much more effective to write like that because it shows that you can execute an individual episode of a TV show as well as a pilot that sets up a whole series. I don't really feel like in drama there's such a, a distinction or rather it should be like one or the other because those two distinctions with kinds of pilots are very, I mean, the lines are very blurred in my mind, especially now in 2020. If you looked at maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, sure, you could have the distinction where a more procedural type show would have that episode three feeling where it's sort of like immediate stress you're in the middle of that day in the life of character uh, as opposed to sort of setting things up, like a Deep Space Nine kind of pilot where it sort of sets up the world and that's what we're going to be doing. It's sort of the difference between the pilot as the beginning of that person's journey as opposed to the pilot as a day in that person's journey. Um, so th those are the distinctions. And especially now the way stories are being told, especially on trauma and one hour and so forth, the lines are a lot blurred. So I'm personally not very specific about, oh, it should be like premise pilot or like an episode three kind of thing. But nonetheless, to me, a compelling pilot is still a blending of the genre because at the end of the day, a pilot still needs to give a sense of what another episode is going to be. Now, that doesn't mean the pilot needs to be like another episode, but it still needs to address the formula or at least the essence of what that show is. Breaking Bad is, I guess, the closest thing to sort of that premise pilot, but it still gives you an idea of what the show is about, which is, in essence, Walter White trying to get out of a critical situation and making stuff up as he goes with escalating consequences. That's basically what Breaking Bad is in a nutshell, and the pilot is a nutshell of Breaking Bad. And the same thing with Lost. It's people on an island with flashbacks to their previous lives, and it's people trying to get out of a critical situations on an island with very bizarre things happening, and they don't really know where they are or what is even happening. And the pilot is, again, a representation of the show Lost as a whole. So that's, in my mind, the closest thing to look at a pilot is, especially in the context where if it's more of a procedural and you're going to have cases of the week, then presumably that means the pilot should be kind of a case of the week. And conversely, if it's more of a serialized thing, then the pilot should be kind of a serialized thing. Now, We've actually talked in depth about both of those things and uh, not just in our TV pilot 101 and 201, but also our TV formula 101. So I definitely recommend all our listeners listen to that episode. That's PT117, PT117. That was a great deep dive into that very idea that essentially 
every episode, every show has a formula. Even if you think of Breaking Bad, even if you think of The Sopranos, The Americans, whatever version of sort of a hyper-serialized, uh, blended uh, series you can think of, all of those still have an element of a formula in them. And that's a very important thing to understand. And that will allow you to sort of address what the pilot should look like in and of itself. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, if you look at Breaking Bad, the reason why you know we start in this crazy action of the drug dealer stuff and then we go back to his old life is that every episode is him living in his old life. And then that contradiction and that tension between his life as a father and as a teacher and as a drug dealer, pretty much the entire time, it's still just that tension between him and his family and his drug world. If the show was such that by the end of the pilot, his family had been murdered by drug dealers and he was just now only ever being a drug dealer personality, you know, Walter White just kind of hanging out in a, a crack house brewing meth or whatever, then yes, maybe we didn't need so much of here's his family and all this stuff going on. But just because that is, like it's, you said, the formula, the engine of this entire show is going back and forth between these two worlds, then we're seeing that in the pilot. It's not just needless setup and stuff that changes completely at the end of the episode. I think a lot of people underestimate the ability of the audience to catch up to where we are. If you do throw us into the middle of an established situation, an established formula, someone's going about every day of their lives, we don't need to see someone's first day on the job where they meet everyone by name and they're introduced to this new world and they're waking up in the morning and brushing their teeth and going to work and all that kind of thing. You can just throw us into the middle of something and go from there and we will pick up those cues and we will start to understand stuff if you write it in such a way that we're getting the information we need. I would say that if you are actually going to do sort of that fish out of water story, which is still a valid uh, way to go about doing a pilot, it still needs to justify itself within the context. If you are doing, you know, uh, an entry point, like a newbie entering a police force or something like that, then there needs to be a reason why that person is the person that we follow. And uh, that's going to be what the show is about, hopefully, because otherwise it would just be a day on the job episode. So there needs to be that reason intrinsically ingrained as to why you're doing this choice and not that choice. And in many ways, that's kind of what a pilot is, right? It's sort of like justifying its own existence and justifying the reasons why you choose this version as opposed to that version. And on that note, despite everything we've been saying so far in regards to putting a twist and turns uh, up front, etc., that doesn't mean you should negate narrative momentum within the episode itself. We still need to have the story drive somewhere as opposed to just having the premise. And that's the end of that. And that's where act breaks come in. That's where so those twists and turns throughout the episode, those reveals need to occur. Just going back to Alias for a second, that's an episode of Pilot where pretty much every single act, every other page, you had a massive reveal about Cindy Bristow is actually a student, but she's actually a double agent at uh, SD6, but actually her father works at SD6, but actually SD6 is in the CIA, it's an evil organization, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's sort of like an escalation of those uh, reveals and an escalation of the character's trauma, which adds a lot of momentum to the story. Now, I'll just say that uh, in terms of Act Ray specifically, we covered that in depth in our PT-15 episode. So that's another episode definitely we recommend to check out. Uh, obviously, this isn't really the scope, quote unquote, uh, of this every team episode, but uh, we definitely dug deep in terms of Act Breaks on PT-15. But the reason we bring it up in the scope episode is because you're not only choosing the scope of your pilot episode, but you're choosing the scope of each of your acts as well. And what is act one going to cover? And then how does that push us inevitably into act two and then into act three? And, you know, if you're in a drama, you might have more acts than that as well. So, you know, you're thinking very carefully about what each sequence of your story is doing both you know, on the overall level and on the, the kind of minor level. Unfortunately, one of the common things you see in pilot scripts is either just the story kind of plotting its way through until you reach that big exciting point at the end, 
or even just if people are specifically writing in act breaks, they're not using them intentionally. They're just kind of putting it in at a point where it seems like this might be where an ad break would occur in the story. And the end of the act is just sort of like a shrug moment or an everyday moment, or it only pays off what happened in the scene, but not on a broader level that's tying into everything and working its way towards the climax. Yeah. And that is why I'm such a huge fan of outlining, because outlining is the point where you can fix those issues. That's the point where you have the skeleton, you can create that skeleton of an episode on the board or your computer or wherever, and you can start with filling out the corners. It's kind of like a puzzle. You fill out the corner pieces, et cetera. And including in this case, the act breaks, the cliffhangers, the teaser, those elements that are going to be jaw dropping or make you turn the page or tune in after the ad break. Those are the moments that are sort of tentpole moments you need to really hone in on because that way allows you to have more freedom into digging into the character and the meat of the story, essentially between those act breaks. And so that's an opportunity that you just cannot miss. Yeah, exactly. And I think that speaks to, again, the issue with just having the only really big, exciting thing happen at the very end of your pilot is like, what are your act breaks going to be? If the plane crashes at the end of your episode in this theoretical alternate pilot to Lost, <laughs> and then your act one break is uh, Jack can't find his shampoo, and so he needs to go out to the store and buy a shampoo. <laughs> bag. Like, what are you actually working with at that point? Like you said, these act breaks are these big, important narrative turns and moments that change things and, and respond to obstacles and choices and consequences. So each of your act breaks should feel almost as big as that climactic moment, although obviously you want to save the biggest moment for you know the most impactful point. But you know each of them needs to be a really big deal. In the COVID era, I feel like now this would be a compelling show to watch. How do you prepare to board an airplane? <laughs> I forgot my mask. I need to go back. We have to go back. <laughs> That's kind of the way of looking at it. If you think about sort of act breaks, act break one is level one uh, surprise. Act break two is level two surprise and so forth until act break five, or the cliffhanger essentially, which is level five of a shock value. It, you can just have nothing and then level five at the end. Uh, that just doesn't work. So now that we've talked a little bit about scope in general and some of the common mistakes that people make when choosing the big picture scope of their pilot, uh, let's talk specifically about the beginnings, and that is the choice of where to start your pilot. The one thing I want to say to kind of introduce this topic is a really great concept that Ellen Sandler puts in her TV writer's workbook. She was a writer for Everybody Loves Raymond and has this amazing uh, book that I recommend everyone check out. And so she talks about this concept of Ma Nishtana, which uh, comes from Passover, the Seder for our non-Jewish friends out there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then that's the question of like, why tonight from all other nights? And obviously, Alex, in the, the Jewish tradition, that's they're talking about the story of Passover and why tonight is special and why they're celebrating that and that kind of thing. But when you apply that to a story, what we're asking is, why are we coming in at this moment from all other moments? Why are we choosing this day in Ray Romano's life to <laughs> write an episode of TV about what has changed about it or what is uh, about to change from the normal equilibrium of the world and these people's lives? That means that we need to tune in right now and see this story happening from this moment forward. You know, you don't just want to start in the everyday where nothing out of the ordinary is happening. You want to start when that suddenly changes. Right. And to that idea, that's why I tend to slightly push back about the idea of, you know, writing sort of a, a standard episode of a show as the pilot, because we need to have the reason why that is. And usually that entryway is a newbie or this, you know, maybe a, a new person, a new boss in the police force. I don't know why I keep going back to those, because I guess uh, police procedurals are ever present. But nonetheless, something like The Shield is a clear example where you do have that day in the life of uh, those characters, but you have a new member of the team who turns out to be a mole 
mole and the mole gets killed at the end of the pilot. And so that really spearheads the rest of what the show is in such a way that really explains why this episode is different from all other episodes and specifically why this moment in that person's life is also different from all uh, other nights in that person's life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on an episodic level, it can be as simple as, you know, if we're going to the police procedural, we got a new case and here's this new lead we need to start investigating. And that's what's different from what was happening before. But I think on a pilot, you want to think about that on a bigger level of how is this entire world or this person's entire life changing in a bigger way that uh, pushes us forward into what this entire series is going to be about? What's slightly different that's unique about this and what's going to make it stand out? Exactly. And uh, two things can be true at once. Uh, like the idea of doing a case of the week doesn't have to be mutually exclusive from still, you know, honing down on character moments or defining what is different from other episodes. So The Good Wife is a very good example of, I mean, The Good Wife is a legal procedural drama, but the pilot, even though it does have actually a case and multiple cases of the week, quote unquote, it still has a very impactful reason for why this episode is the pilot. And that is the beginning of uh, Alicia's story in the show. So those are uh, great examples of, of series where you do have sort of that case of the week, that procedural element that could be arguably fit in any other episode of the show while still maintaining the balance of explaining and justifying their own existence as an actual pilot and introduction to the series. Yeah, exactly. And you can even take some of these kind of micro concepts that you've learned from writing a scene and apply them to the broader structure of a pilot too. And that is that common kind of wisdom of get in as late as possible and get out as early as possible. You know, what is the latest possible moment you could start the story happening so that we're getting into the really the meat and the potatoes of what's going on that we don't just have this 10, 15 pages of nothing. So uh, again, you can kind of apply that logic to the bigger story picture as well. Obviously, we already mentioned this in this very episode, but it does bear repeating that most readers I mean, hopefully we'll read the entire episode, but a lot of them will focus on the beginning. So that's why it's so important to front load, not literally the action, but at least the meat of the story, the character moments, what makes that character different from all other characters, make that the first scene of the entire show. Breaking Bad, that's an obvious example, but Six Feet Under is another example where sort of that you have the premise of the dad dying and that brings together the entire family and that makes you lean into sort of the character dynamics and every character is different in their own way and exposes what the show is really about. You see, I mean, the fact that uh, Claire, for example, is high off her mind throughout the entire episode shows you exactly what kind of character she is as opposed to David, who's much more reserved and kind of a control freak as opposed to the mother who tries to keep everyone together as opposed to Nate, who doesn't care about what's happening. You sort of see the dynamic at play in the episode and it's still very juicy because, I mean, uh, the first scene, I believe, of the entire show is a fake sort of tongue-in-cheek ad for Hearst. Um, so that sure sort of shows the, the dark humor of the series and gives you an idea of what the show, or the tonally speaking, is about, while also giving you an idea of what the story, or at least the content of the show, is going to be about. Yeah, I think you can kind of think about uh, scope of character in the same way you can think about the scope of your story. Where are we coming into this character's life? What particular moment is so important that we need to suddenly have an entire TV show about them? I think the default for a lot of people is that, oh, this character is just stuck in everyday workaday life and they hate their job and something's going on and then something fantastical happens and it takes them out of it. But, you know, you can choose to jump into someone's life at a real moment of crisis. You know, somebody that they love has just died or they're caught between a rock and a hard place 
place or, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be, you can kind of really think about what's the scope of this character's life and this character's journey and where are we coming into it? And then what's the overall arc of where they're going to end up? So choosing the point at which we're going to see the greatest difference and the greatest change and reflection from where they start and where they end, I think is part of the scope of your pilot too. And the sooner you not just realize, but make it actionable within the pilot, the better it is. So for example, Future Online is a show where the lead character is a, a sort of a pizza delivery man who is stuck in their dead end job and then at life in 1999. And then they deliver pizza to Icy Wiener and then they get stuck in a crime machine and wake up a thousand years later. But all of that happens pretty early in the pilot. In fact, that's basically the teaser of the entire pilot. And you get all of that within a few pages, a few moments with a fry as the delivery person. And you can visualize and process these mediocre moments in that person's life in snapshots. And then within a couple of pages, boom, you get to the inciting incident of the show and what Futurama is really about. Because the show isn't about fry in 1999. The show is about fry in 3000 or 2999. Yeah, exactly. The bad version of that would be that we spend an entire half hour episode of uh, Fry's everyday life in 1999 in his apartment and his blah, blah, blah in his world. And then the very last thing he does is falls into the cryogenic chamber or perhaps comes out of the cryogenic chamber and realizes he's in the year 3000. And then that's when we cut to credits. It's like, well, no, because now we don't know what the show's like at all. We haven't met any of the characters who are going to be there every single week. And I think that is just like a common mistake that people genuinely make because they think that that's the point at which the story should end and we'll wait to see what happens next. But that's, that's not at all true. I think as well, one thing that people kind of do going back to character is the character is presented with some sort of dilemma or, or, or problem early on. And they spend the entire episode going back and forth about what they should do about this and whether they should take this action or do this thing they don't really want to do. And then they finally make their choice at the climax and they're like, yes, I am going to do the thing. And then the episode ends. And again, it's just like we don't see them taking any real action towards it. They're just kind of stuck with this choice that they're, they're laboring over. And then when they finally make the choice and we're about to see some interesting action and things are going to put them out of their comfort zone and things are going to reflect what the show looks like each week, the story's already over. So I think that you need to really be careful of falling into that trap as well. Right. That's, I mean, just to borrow Joseph Campbell, that's essentially the call to action, the, the hero's call to his journey or their journey into the adventure. And to, again, borrow that three-act structure for a feature, that's akin to the end of Act 1. And so the end of Act 1 for a feature is essentially Act 1 for a pilot or even a teaser of a pilot. That should be the moment where the character realizes, oh, okay, I'm going to lean in and actually go through with that decision that I'm making. And the rest of the pilot is the obstacles, right? That's Act too, just again, to borrow the sort of the feature analogy here. Um, so really, that's another, I mean, we're basically repeating ourselves here, but really front loading that action and that inciting incident to the top is very important. And uh, just to sort of uh, mention also, because we are mentioning a lot of our past episodes, just to honing on the details of teasers and cold opens specifically, we also did a whole episode that's PT61 all about that. And I also recommend, I'm sure Nick will echo myself here, to listen to all our PPT's feedback episodes where, I mean, at this point, I don't know how many how many teasers we've read, but it's kind of a, a great lesson in terms of do's and don'ts of ways of framing an actionable fraction of the pilot in a few pages and be as evocative as possible. Yeah, I agree completely on that. I think that it's a really good practice, essentially, to write teasers for your shows, it's kind of like writing a, a, sh a short film or whatever. You can really, if your teaser isn't working, if your teaser isn't summing up and being this microcosm and this fractal of the rest of your thing, 
then it's probably not going to be working on the bigger picture either. So make sure that, you know, each little thing works before you move on to the next and and outlining and looking at the bigger picture up front is going to help a lot with that. All right. Now that we've looked at beginnings, it's only natural that we look at the end of the pilot. And obviously, intrinsically, uh, per everything we've said in this episode, an end should not be sort of a redefining of the entire concept of the show. I do want to emphasize that you can, if you want, recontextualize something. So for example, you can add a new layer of understanding to what we've already emotionally invested ourselves in. Battlestar Galactica is a great example of a pilot where for the whole pilot, you set the idea that is 12 Cylons on the ground in the fleet, blah, blah, blah. In the end, you recontextualize the fact that Boomer is one of those uh, evil Cylons aboard the fleet. And so that's a twist. It's, you know, it's akin to, you know, the usual suspects twist or the sixth sense uh, twist where it recontextualizes everything you seen so far, but it doesn't negate what you've invested in. And I feel like that's the big difference here is even though you can recontextualize, meaning adding a new layer, you should not be undercutting that investment that we spent 30 pages or 60 pages doing with that ending. It should be essentially additive as opposed to retractive. And so that's the, the big distinction here. Yeah, exactly. You're building upon the groundwork that you've already put down and then adding to it. And you're essentially paying off setups. Like you were saying, if it was if we spent this whole time saying that there are 12 Cylons here, then we find out there we know who one of them is, then like that's great. You've paid off the setup that there's there are 12 there. And now we need to know who the rest of the eleven are. But if instead it got to the end of it and they said actually there are no Cylons, it was all a mistake, <laughs> then the show ends. It's not interesting anymore <laughs> because you've undone all the work that you just spent that time doing. So I think you know you need to be careful that you are essentially resolving an episodic payoff that with the groundwork that you've done in there, some sort of thread, through line, whatever it happens to be, is being paid off by the end of your episode. But at the same time, you are still leaving some sort of unresolved or opening up some sort of unresolved series conflict or plot thread that's going to continue on and makes us want to see that next episode. And you know, in a way, you're kind of closing a door but opening a window. There's that simultaneous resolution yet unresolution, that contradiction that you need to have in your pilot ending. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, even if you extrapolate that to a series, right, as we've said, a uh, pilot is essentially a fraction of a season that is a fraction of a, of a series. The same can be said for series finale uh, that sort of add that shocking surprise at the end, which negates the entire run of the show, like the whole, it was all a dream. Obviously, a very infamous example of that is a St. Elsewhere, which ended with sort of the Danny snow globe uh, thing where like the whole show was in Danny's mind. But also think of the US adaptation of Life on Mars, which I don't know if you've ever seen the US adaptation of Life on Mars, but the series finale is notorious for ending. Uh, I mean, the basic concept of, uh, of Life on Mars is Someone falls into a coma and Gronko time travels to the 60s as a, as a detective. And so we're not sure if they're in a coma or not or what's happening here. But ultimately, in the Life on Mars US version, the end of the show is them literally going to Mars, as in the whole show was a simulation in their mind and their sort of the, their stasis pods aboard a spaceship that was going to Mars. So that was how the show ended, which I mean, I guess that's a cute little button at the end of it, but it kind of negates the emotional investment that you've had across the entire show. So think of that as the same thing with the pilot. If you end the pilot with a reveal that Jack is aboard a plane in a stasis spot, and actually he didn't really crash on an island, but he's actually on the spaceship. Well, the show is actually a spaceship show. It's not like a deserted island show. Uh, so it's the same idea. Obviously, I'm extrapolating here and nobody's writing those kinds of shows, but nonetheless, it's still an example of how you can 
turn a show from one thing to another without really realizing that it's completely different. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that kind of arcs people about these is that it hasn't been set up. You know, none of the work has been done to subtly suggest that all along we're in a spaceship and they're hearing space noises and you know, he's finding a captain's log under his bed or whatever. You know, like it hasn't been planned from the beginning. It just feels like this sudden left turn that nobody was expecting. And that feels kind of cheap for an audience and it doesn't feel good emotionally. It doesn't feel like you are being rewarded for the time that you have invested into the series or the episode. And, you know, by following along and remembering these things, you're not getting any kind of payoff. You're just getting a big shock surprise. And you don't want to do that at the end of your pilot either. If something big happens, especially if it's going to be something that opens a door into the rest of the series, then you want to make sure that you have laid the groundwork for that earlier in your pilot. Uh, if suddenly the character transforms into a werewolf and we realize, oh my God, <laughs> you know, this is a whole new layer of this thing. And this is going to be about them being a werewolf. Then you need to be hinting at that earlier. There need to be perhaps other supernatural creatures in this world, things like that. It can't just suddenly happen out of nowhere as a big, like, oh my God, what happens next? Cause that's just kind of cheap and it doesn't feel emotionally satisfying. Right. And to borrow the sort of the Hitchcock example, it's the, the difference between a shock and a surprise. It's hinting that there's a bomb under the table as opposed to the table exploding because there's a bomb the whole time, but you didn't even know there was a bomb. If you do that at the end of a pilot and you basically explode out your very premise as opposed to having teased that buildup and it's sort of the, the difference between being shocked as opposed to surprised in a good way, right? It's sort of like you've seeded that mystery that you're resolving in that way at the end. And like the werewolf example, that's kind of like True Blood, where the world is established. It is a supernatural world with those uh, creatures and so forth, but you do end on that twist. And well, in your example, it's like a werewolf, but whatever the case may be, it's something that is maybe surprising to the audience, uh, and hopefully you want to surprise the audience, but it's not a shock as in, oh, I was watching a legal drama and now there's a werewolf. <laughs> what drama am I watching? It's a different kind of surprise. The other thing to say to all of that too is to make sure that you do just have some sense of resolution. It's fine to have this big shock surprise what's going to happen next, but if you spend all this time setting up various things in the thing and then none of it pays off at the end and we just don't even get just the most basic sense of like oh i see how this has come full circle or they've overcome some sort of smaller journey or smaller obstacle to reach a place where now we can jump off for the rest of the series then again that kind of feels unsatisfactory and it kind of feels like the whole pilot episode again was a waste because nothing ever paid off nothing ever felt cathartic for the audience at the end being like oh great i see how they've overcome this one issue now i can't wait to see how they overcome the rest instead you're just leaving everything up in the air then i think that's uh, a problem in and of itself as well. I feel like the best middle ground is that closing the door up in the window analogy that you mentioned earlier, where just to go back to Lost, the whole mission of the episode is them trying to communicate with the outside world. And so then that leads to them trying to reach the radio tower at the top of the island. And so for the whole episode, essentially, they reach the radio tower, they get to it at the very end. And so that's closure, right? They've succeeded in that mission. That's the case of the week. The mission of the week is let's go to the tower, you get to the tower. And the very end is actually, where are we guys? Because there's now a, a number message and we can't communicate with the outside world. And so that adds an element of mystery to what the show is and where they are on the island. It's even more bizarre than they thought it was beforehand. And so you do have that sense of closure while still keeping things open. It, it's not sort of all or nothing. It's sort of that middle ground. Right, exactly. They achieve the goal, but then suddenly they realize that the goalposts have now shifted and they're further away than they thought, or they're a different place, or it's a completely different kind of ball game that they're playing. So there are probably some people listening now who are like, well, you know, this is all well and good, 
But uh, I've seen so many shows that are just this very slow burn and all we really get is character establishment and setting up of the world and the story happens very, very slowly and those are effective. Some of them are some of the best shows that you might have seen and that kind of thing. So of course there are exceptions to this rule. Of course there are shows that still work like this, but I want to kind of give you some context to how and why those shows still work. And, you know, I think the most obvious exception are these hyper-serialized slow burn dramas that happen on streaming services or HBO and it kind of takes you like four or five episodes to really get into it. And then once you do, you're so hooked and it's amazing and that kind of thing. I think for these shows to succeed, it's all about the execution and successfully setting up a lot of threads of what the show is going to be exploring in that first episode in order to keep people coming back. And I think it requires a ton of nuance. It's not an easy feat to accomplish. I don't recommend that most uh, aspiring writers try to write a bloodline or a succession or anything like that where we're really, really slowly you know, building up this story because we know we have all of the episodes already uploaded on the streaming service and we can just keep watching and getting pulled further into it. So most of these heavily serialized slow burn series are usually sold by very established writers and showrunners who can A, pull that off on the page. They have the skills of 20 years of writing to be able to do that in such a compelling and nuanced way. And they also have the advantage of that name and that reputation already to give the buyers the confidence that they can actually execute this as a series, as well as giving viewers the confidence to stick around and give it the time it needs to develop because you know it's a prestigious show from XYZ and they have a huge marketing budget. There's billboards everywhere and everyone's already talking about it. You know, with very little exception, I think any of those HBO shows that do take you five episodes to get going and then they're just incredible are from these established creators and writers who have been given the room to try that and to succeed or fail by these networks that have confidence in them because of who they are. Right. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, the examples you quoted, I would still feel are not even counterexamples. A, a succession is, uh, even though people, you know, you may be divided on whether or not the pilot is compelling for the characters, a lot of people are got a few episodes in before they really enjoy the show. But that doesn't mean the pilot is incorrectly executed, though it doesn't service the scope that we speak of, especially in the context of the pilot of succession. You do have that mission of the week and you do have the twist and turns of the patriarchy having a heart attack at the end. And you do have those seeds of character moments and character dynamics that are explained, some less awkwardly than others, but you still have the DNA of the show in that pilot. You still have that humor, that really raw humor in the show that exists throughout the rest of the series. So whether or not the story element is compelling enough to justify sort of a pilot as opposed to a series, that's another question. I mean, I feel like this is more like a strawman's argument, perhaps, but even if you, uh, people are saying out there that those counterexamples are like slow burns that go counter to our examples, I would still like push back on the idea that they are counterexamples uh, in the same way that, as we mentioned with the TV formula, one one thing, even if you think of series that are, you know, muddled and slow burns and, and sort of a, a long movie in 10 chapters as opposed to multiple episodes, you can still fulfill those demands of a formula and uh, of a scope of a pilot in an episode. Exactly. And I think each show naturally has a different sense of pacing and tone and how they want to tell their stories. And I think they've made a particular decision about the scope of their show that it is going to be a slower burn where things come out more subtly. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, like you said, they still do have all those elements. They set up all of those threads in there, even if it's not your typical procedural episode of the week kind of structure that uh, a lot of people are familiar with or is more instant gratification. But I think, you know, for your average aspiring or early career writer, the chances of you successfully selling a show that's like that without major talent or producer attachments on it is kind of slim to none. So you should probably just default to giving us an entertaining pilot where things outside of just character development and world building happen, you know, in order to kind of hedge your bets there and to be a better sample for you as a writer too, to show that you can't execute an individual episode of TV that doesn't require an entire serialized arc to tell its story. 
in terms of selling those kind of shows, it is much more achievable on streaming services who program for that heavy serialization and for the binge. But there's a lot of other elements that go into it that aren't just the pilot script. And that might be a really great series, a Bible, a great pitch in the room that makes it some of that ground. Or there's an existing IP, like a book or some sort of story, like real life story, where the producers and execs can look at it and see that the execution is already laid out in a vague kind of sense and is successful. And so they're willing to take a shot on someone turning that into a slow burn TV series. And then they already have all that built in viewership and those eyeballs from fans of that IP in the first place. This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I feel like the newer, more nascent and emerging you are, the less you should be writing. Uh, and I don't mean like write fewer pilots or anything like that. I'm saying like within the context of a show, if we're talking about a, a single show, you should just be writing a pilot. And then the further up you move, then maybe you're going to be writing a one page or two page or whatever, because then you get access to people to pitch the show. And then the higher up you go, then you're going to be writing a Bible or something like that. And then you're going to be packaging people and you're going to have to justify the existence of the project on sort of a meta production level. And again, like as a showrunner, then you're going to be writing all the scripts, right? Like So the further up the ladder you go, the more you'll be writing. As opposed to if you are a nascent writer, the pilot should be what it is. The 60 or 30 pages that you're writing, that should be it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have in the, you know, the back burner, especially if people are interested in your project, uh, a pitch Bible or something like that. Uh, but in the context of writing more than one episode, or because I also know a lot of people are asking, oh, like, should I be writing a whole season worth of show or anything like that? Even if it's a slow burn, you should just be content writing that one episode. And if that one episode isn't engaging enough, then I would put into question the point of the pilot and the point of the episode because it should be engaging enough as it stands. It shouldn't need six more episodes behind it to justify its own existence. It should be, as I've said at the top, it should be a compelling hour or half hour of television in of itself and not just sort of the first chapter in a book. Yeah, I think some people can use those kind of Bibles and pitch documents and story documents as a crutch to enable the problems that we talked about earlier, which is not including the most exciting stuff in the pilot, not giving us enough of a reason to understand everything that's going on and, and have it work as a microcosm of the series. You should be able to read a pilot script to understand exactly what the rest of the series is going to look like. And we're not holding back any information and we're not leaving out some important piece of the show that you only find out if you read the supporting documents. That's exactly what they are. They're supporting documents. They're not another important piece of the puzzle that you need to understand the show at all. It helps and it builds upon them and shows people, you know, stuff that, that goes on top of what you got there, but it's not something completely different that you had never seen in the Bible that is required in order for people to understand it. To that point, I mean, just the fact that you would need to read uh, an extra news document to get the point of the show that defeats the point of the show, right? It's like saying, well, I mean, I cook really well, but you just need to go to my restaurant as opposed to me cooking for you in this moment. Yeah. I mean, do you cook well or do I need to jump through these hoops to get to the point of what you're trying to do? A pilot needs to service what it is. As an audience member, as a viewer, we are going to be watching the pilot. That's basically the end goal. If you have a TV show, we're not going to be skimming through five episodes to get to the meaty part. We're going to be watching the show because that's the idea. So that should be reflected in the writing of the pilot. As a general rule, people should try and stick to whatever's going to get their script off of a pile on someone's desk first and foremost before worrying about how great their show is going to be once it hits episode three because they have all this extended serialization in mind. You know, that's something you can talk about over the phone or in a general meeting or whatever. But again, like this just needs to function as a great writing sample that shows that you can execute on a TV episode and everything else about that comes later. 
That's sort of the point about sort of writing a one hour, half hour that's in of itself compelling. And then the next level, like you said, the next level can be sort of what comes next. But on the very surface level, it needs to be compelling. On the second level, it needs to be building up to the rest of the series, but still establishing the identity of the series within that framework, that scope that we talk about in this episode. It needs to begin and end and give a satisfactory ending while still positing the existence of something else behind it. And we don't need, we should not need to read sort of the back half of uh, your pitch Bible to really get what's going on. We should be satisfied by just reading that sample. Right. Even if you have the most exciting, incredible Bible that sells this entire show in such a way that a network wants to buy it, if they then look at your pilot script of it, they might be like, uh, you know what, like you had a good idea, but you couldn't execute on it. So we're just going to go to the next person. Or, you know, even best case scenario, they might be like, we like this, but we're going to bring on a completely different writer to do it because you didn't execute what it was in the pilot script itself. So it's, it's so important to actually just nail the execution of the show in the script. And that's what comes first and foremost. And a lot of that is to do with your scope. So if you want a little more information or a bit of a deeper dive into some of the stuff we're just discussing here, you can look at the analysis of some existing pilots that are awesome in our episode, Analyzing Great TV Pilots with Case Studies of Alias, Community, Homicide, The OC, Scrubs, and Third Rock from the Sun. That's uh, PT54. And also uh, we have a Patreon episode, uh, which is a bonus episode that's only available to our story editor and above supporters. And that one's called Analyzing Great TV Pilots 2, Case Studies of Arrested Development, Breaking Bad, Friends, and Lost. So, you know, you can take a look at those episodes and really put into perspective all of these things we've been talking about, about choosing the right scope, about establishing your characters in your world, getting an episodic engine going, as well as opening it up for the rest of the series. And I think almost every single one of these ones that we look at do that in a great way. And that's going to be one of the main ways that you can learn how to do that yourself is by reading examples of really great pilots that do everything you're meant to do and uh, learning from them. Definitely a must listen. And on that note, uh, don't forget that we are on Patreon, as we just mentioned. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team by our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You will get access to our Paper Patreon podcast cheat sheets, that dedicated Paper Tea slot that we've also mentioned for our Patreon supporters, that bonus episode as well. Uh, so all of that is available at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And we can keep producing an amazing show like this one for you every week. So thanks for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 184. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes or questions, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week will be our Paper Tease episode for August, where we uh, review your teasers that you send in and give you feedback. So it should be a fun one. Tune in for that next week. We'll see you then.